welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here one last time with Cody Weckerly. Oh, man, I get sad. I know. Say it like that. And Adam Nesvold. Yeah, my stay up in Minnesota, North Dakota area is coming to an end. I have to go back down to good old Kansas. <laughs> that Kansas is City. Yeah, it is sad. I feel like it's ripping off the Band-Aid all over again. Yeah. Having you here has been ointment to the soul. Oh, wow. Now you're just going to leave us with that this, might be an overstatement, this empty but... <laughs> place in our hearts. <laughs> well, I'm glad you felt like I was this healing balm to you, Cody. <laughs> it, it has been a joy to have you back. It's been fun. Yeah, it's just been great. And obviously, anybody who knows anything about Kansas City, Missouri area, it's just brutally hot and muggy and gross in the summer. And it hits 100 degrees pretty frequently, or at least in the mid-90s a lot. And there's no water. And when you're used to growing up in Minnesota where there's clean lakes and beautiful water everywhere that you can just go lay in, yeah, it's it's like, what do you do? What do you do when it's 100 degrees and there's there's no clean water to lay in? I don't I don't know. You just sit in your AC. So You go to that on-the-border restaurant and you get their salsa. That's what you do. <laughs> You just eat and lay on your couch in the AC. I don't know. So it's been nice to be up here in Minnesota for basically like all of June. I was here, which is great. But I have to head back. Got to get ready for my ecclesiology seminar um, on campus. So nonetheless, we're going to end our series on the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology, with a discussion on elders and deacons. And so we've, we've hit most of the main topics that you would want to hit on a discussion of the doctrine of the church, you know, relationship between church and Israel, regulative principle, normative principle, you know, how do we worship, um, um, congregationalism, the, the ordinances, Lord's Supper, baptism, and now we're finally to basically church leadership, uh, and this discussion that we're going to have is on elders and deacons. Uh, how, like, how is, you know, this is a subset of the, of the discussion on congregationalism, you know, what is the governmental structure of the church? But then under that is, okay, well, who are the leaders in the church? Uh, every, you know, every institution that we have in human society has leadership. You think of the home, and we believe as complementarians that, you know, the, the, the husband is the head in the home, and he has authority in the home. And you go to your, your state, your nations, and obviously the civil magistrates or whoever that might be, the king, the monarch— uh, your aristocrats, uh, your president, your your senators, whatever. There's 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 a leadership structure, and when we get into the church, we also see this reality of of leaders, and and in the New Testament, it's very clear. Obviously, we we have this idea in the first century of apostles. If you just look at Ephesians four, you see that Paul says, and and he gave talking about Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, so we see clearly here that Paul is saying that okay, Christ has given to the church these these gifted individuals. You have apostles, you have prophets, you have evangelists, and you have shepherd teachers and we we kind of combine in the greek we we see these these two last ones as combined so shepherd teachers is kind of one thing or one person or one gifted individual but nonetheless christ gives these individuals to the church and their task is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and that again is back to our our defense of congregationalism the work of ministry is to be done by 
the church member, by the saints, not by just the leadership itself. And some people have this view that, oh, well, ministry is done by by our pastors, by uh, our bishops, by those types of people, and, and just the, the regular, everyday lay Christian, he doesn't do ministry. You have to have a special calling beyond just being a Christian to do ministry. And we're saying, no, we believe that every Christian is called to do the work of ministry. And then you have some who have this more unique calling to equip the saints for this work of ministry. And so we would say, if you go back in Ephesians to chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation for the church. And, and then Christ is the cornerstone of this foundation. And the church is then built upon the apostles and prophets. So we would make an argument that the apostles or the office of apostles and prophets has ceased. It's no longer, uh, these, the spirit doesn't gift individuals with these types of unique giftings that were, that were, you know, hallmarks to the work of apostles and prophets. I mean, one of the big ones is obviously being able to speak and write inspired scripture. That's a big one. Uh, so we don't believe that there's apostles and prophets anymore. So then that leaves us with evan- evangelists and shepherd teachers. Now I would call myself an evangelist I wrote a paper and presented it at ETS, uh, a regional meeting of ETS on arguing for the church offices of evangelists, but we're going to kind of set that aside and not kind of pretend that I didn't write that, even though I agree with that, and just talk about these this idea of elders and deacons. And in Ephesians 4, we see shepherd teachers, and we would say that that is a parallel to what we would call an elder or an overseer and a pastor. Sometimes shepherd in this text is translated as as pastor. So, Cody, give just a little bit of like a uh, an argument or a defense for the reality that elder, pastor, and overseer, these three words that are thrown around are all the same person. That's kind of a big discussion because some church government structures separate those out and, and say, well, no, a bishop or a presbyter is different than uh, different than a pastor or different than an elder. And maybe he's over the elder. And, and uh, yeah, these aren't the same individual. So why do we believe that this is all just the same person? Well, I, I could think about Philippians 1 off the top of my head, sure. where the letter is introduced, I believe. I'm not looking at Philippians 1, but it's um, there's a greeting there to the elders— and deacons. Deacons, yep. And so there you have two offices singled out. Right. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any other offices in mind. Uh, and then as you go to other parts in the Bible, then you do start to see these other words being used in what appears to be, uh, you know, the same office. Right. And so First Peter 5 is, of course, one of the greatest examples of seeing how the various words uh, all come together, uh, as you mentioned uh, you know, shepherd, we see that yep. word. Uh, we see uh, episkopos, mm-hmm. uh, which would be overseer, yep. and then uh, elder. Yeah, you know. So, well, that's the word for shepherd. Shepherd, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, presbyter. Presbyteros. Is yep. the word for... Elder. Elder, yeah. Yep. So you see all those come together, and uh, I don't have First Peter. I, I have it on. You want to read yeah, it? I can read it. Starting in verse one. So this is Peter. He says, So I exhort the elders among you. So there's the presbyteros word. As a fellow elder and 
a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So there we have it. We have three um, variations of those three words. We have presbyteros for elders. We have a variation of poimen with shepherd the flock. And then we have a variation of episkopos with exercise oversight. Yep. And it's clearly he's speaking to exhort the elders among you. Like he's speaking to what he's calling elders, but these elders are cl- are clearly doing whatever this other thing is oversight and shepherding and there's really no other text that so beautifully puts it all together like okay yeah this is the same person Mm -hmm. so when we look back at ephesians 4 and we see this this gifted individual of shepherd teacher we would say that is that's the same type of guy who is the elder of a church or the pastor of a church or the overseer of a church yeah and of course we got to just put in the fact that in first Timothy, again, you've got two offices spelled out yeah. for the church, right. um, you know, and then also in Titus, which is essentially a church planting manual, right? Yeah, right. Uh, you've got all these churches on the island of Crete that have been started, and Paul is giving Timothy some advice, or Titus some advice, an apostolic representative, so he carries a little bit more weight than your average elder type, right? But yep. he's saying, um, you know, appoint elders in all the churches. Mm-hmm. So... In terms of the caring of the church, uh, that primary responsibility falls on the shoulders of elders. Right, exactly. And back to that that Titus passage, Titus chapter 1, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. So there's that presbyteros word, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination— Look at verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So there he uses that word episkopos now. So clearly, the episkopos, the overseer, or what's sometimes translated as bishop, is the same exact person as the elder. And as we looked back in First Peter, the elder is also the one who does the shepherding. And Peter calls himself a fellow elder, and what did... What did Jesus charge Peter at the you know the very end of, of the Gospel of John? Feed my sheep. Basically, do the work of a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. So, it's it's when you take into account you know all these New Testament texts, it's it's a pretty like I think it's an extremely extremely tight argument that there's there's no other leader apart from you know we have deacons. We're going to talk about those, but there's no other type of church leader other than this elder, pastor, shepherd who is given specifically to the local church. Again, we could have a discussion on what the evangelist does, but we're going to table that later, and me and Dan will talk about that. (laughs) But for the most part, for local church leadership, it's the elders. And then we would go beyond just the elders, you know, who are overseers and shepherds as well. They're the same thing. But we would say it should be a plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. So why do we, why would we go beyond just this a single individual and say, well, we we see in in scripture in New Testament scripture this kind of 
this idea that, hey, there should be more than one of these guys. Why do we, where do we see that at? Well, I think the fact that even in Titus, I mean, there's uh, there's a plural word used there. Right. Uh, and he didn't say appoint an elder in every church. It's appoint elders in all the churches. Mm, yeah. Right. So even there you see, um, you know, a prescription, it would seem, of multiple elders. You could make a strong argument just on the basis of the wisdom of Proverbs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you see the disciples sent out uh, in Matthew 10, they are sent out not just one guy by himself, but two by two they go out. Yep. So uh, why would that be? Right. They can be there to support each other, encourage each other, right? Lift each other up, hold each other accountable, uh, all those types of things. And, you know, in terms of accountability, uh, that's critical, yeah. right? Because uh, elders are fallible individuals. Right. Uh, they have not yet received their glorified bodies. <laughs> well, so. and, and we're distinguishing ourselves too from obviously the Catholic system and where this reality that the the bishops and especially the Pope have this you, this unique ability to to be kind of the definitive determiners of what the Bible is saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're not saying that. I think I think most importantly though, we get we get a view into um, the operation of one church government. Uh, and and that's that's the Jerusalem church mm. and in that church we see a plurality of elders yeah and that's the thing we see elders plural episcopos plural i mean presbyteros plural like literally in all the texts i mean in in first timothy 3 it's it's plural in titus 1 it's plural uh first timothy 5 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor that's plural there mm-hmm. i mean think of hebrews 13 like i think that's a that none of the words are used there but in in hebrews 13 verse 7 remember your leaders plural Mm -hmm. those who spoke to you the word of god so it's it's and then yes acts 15 plural elders there you know philippians you mentioned plural so it's just it's it's everywhere like you don't ever ever get this idea that there's only one man or one leader over a church so why? Well, and well, yeah, go. If, if if you do have one, it obviously is is not the ideal, right? And Are I, you somehow do, sinning then if you only have one? That's kind of the big question. Yeah, and I do think the fact that uh, Titus needed to appoint elders does kind of employ it, like he was a little alone, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the, right? And so it takes time to you know build up to a place of yes. having a plurality. Uh, and so I don't think a, a church is in sin if they have a single elder. Yeah. I think that you have uh, kind of these leaders that stand out where they had to do some work alone for a while. <laughs> right, but right. I mean, again, not the ideal, certainly not prescribed. And, uh, you know, ultimately what we should be moving towards is a plurality. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can think about rural North Dakota, rural Minnesota. I mean, how many. If you insisted on having a plurality of elders, 
there'd be very little shepherding going on in rural contexts across North Dakota. Yeah, like if you can't have a church unless you have a plurality, well, then there'd be a lot of places that don't have churches because it's literally no man's land. But if you were to talk to those pastors and ask them if they would like other men surrounding them that were able to handle the word and shepherd the flock, would they say yes? They'd say amen. Absolutely. (laughs) I've been looking for these men. I can't find them. Please give them to me. (laughs) And because everybody knows the joy it is to see other people share in the work. Yeah. Right. And and that's the idea of the church. There's yeah. not one man that's doing all the lifting. It's a shared work. Everybody's got their hands involved and it lightens the burden. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so why do you think now we, we do have this under congregationalism? There's a lot of variety uh, on leadership structure. You have a lot of churches in evangelicalism. Uh, that they might just call themselves non-denominational, but usually non-denominational kind of is Baptistic in many yeah. ways and congregationalist, so, you know, local church autonomy, self-governing, self-correcting, whatever, self-replicating. But a lot of these churches that you see that are these kind of pop evangelical, non-denominational, even megachurch type churches, they've they've adopted the 501c3, IRS 501c3 board requirements as kind of their leadership structure and like okay we have a president we have a vice president we have a treasurer we have a secretary and and that then becomes our our leadership for the church Mm -hmm. like what do you think why did that happen do you think it's just pragmatic and well i do think it's incredibly efficient sure right i mean if you're going to have a plurality of people making decisions together that slows down decision making yeah and I, as a church planter, can speak to that because I have been the sole elder for a season of right. our ministry. And uh, and some people would say that's kind of essential in the earliest years of a church's formation right. because there's a whole lot of decisions that are needing to be made in pretty rapid succession. And uh, so, you know, but but again, that's not the ideal. There's a reason that you need these other guys. You need accountability. And, and frankly, slowing down decision-making tends to be a very healthy thing, right? And so uh, the bigger your organization, the harder it is to turn it in a new direction, right? Sure. And so I think that a lot of people opt for simplifying things by going, we're going to have one guy give him a lot of freedom uh, to be able to be the rudder and turn the ship. Yeah. Uh, So it's efficient, it's quick, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's still not safe. And if you've got that much responsibility and decision-making resting on the shoulders of one man, when that one man makes a decision yeah, or when that one man becomes uh, disqualified, right. it is catastrophic. Right. The whole thing is done. Yeah. It, it's a, it's, it becomes a personality cult. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the concept of if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, then go together. Right. Exactly. Do you think a lot of churches in America today and in the West have have just kind of adopted or assumed like just business corporate leadership type structures as the way that they're going to govern their church. Yeah, and unfortunately, it has led a lot to a lot of evangelical churches uh, putting women into positions of leadership yeah. and saying, well, ultimately, they're not doing the work of elders, so, you know, this is acceptable. Right. And... Uh, or the other thing, maybe you just have, you have a bunch of guys, but they truly don't understand that the work of an elder is to shepherd the flock. Right. And they, they aren't able to teach because they see their primary responsibilities uh, really being financial, oversight, 
you know, corporate structure type of uh, policy making, policy yep. writing, yep. Uh, hiring, firing, HR, yep. you know, you name it. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, a lot of people don't read their Bibles and they look <laughs> at what works in the world and they're like, oh, that'll work in the church. Yeah. And it's, it's well, it's sinful and it's ludicrous. Right. But And because of it, the way that they identify people, you know, the, the pastor that's leading the charge, the way he identifies people is... He's looking around for business people yeah, to step into lot. these positions, yeah. right? And it's like now your uh, greatest qualifications to serve on the leadership team doesn't have to do with your character. It has to do with how effectively you have been able to run a business. Yeah, yeah. And you see that a lot. I mean, and the thing is, you'll 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 get guys that they start a church, uh, they're a pastor of a church, and, and yeah, they see this word elder— or the reality that yeah the elders are sh- should be over your church or whatever, but they don't necessarily uh, yeah they they look to okay well who well, who has the most business experience the most experience leading corporations and things like that and just general leadership uh, gifts you could say and and he will be the guy that will put in our elder board and they'll call it an elder board and that, yeah they'll have a plurality of elders but when you really look at these guys you go well. Yeah, you have a plurality. You call them elders, but are they really elders, or are they just guys that do really well leading businesses and corporations? And the distinguishing mark, yeah, hopefully their character as well. Most of the qualifications for an elder in First Timothy three and Titus one are are character qualifications, and kind of this this big overarching like umbrella thing is like, is he above reproach? And then all these different ways that you know that feeds into this reality of him being above reproach. But the big like thing that he has to be able to do though, is he has to be able to teach sound doctrine mm-hmm. and correct those who contradict sound doctrine. That's his calling. Isn't How does he shepherd the flock of God? How does he protect the flock of God? How does he equip the saints for the work of ministry? He teaches sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. That's his job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I can't help but think about how this practically leads to a very um, awkward fellowship within your church, where you end up essentially gutting yourself of any possibilities of raising up elders that aren't affluent, right? Hmm. Where it turns out your leadership team at the end of the day, if you're following this kind of model and you're just yeah. trying to appoint people who run their own businesses or maybe they're attorneys or maybe they're right. CPAs or accountants, right? Yep. All of a sudden, like, well, what happens if you're not that wealthy? Right. Right. Like all of a sudden you can't be an elder. Right. I, I mean, it seems to be, it, it, it just reeks of favoritism to yeah. me. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's weird. You know, why not, why not have the the farmer? Why not have the teacher? Why not have these guys that, you know, aren't the more affluent types, but it's a game because there are a lot of churches are just drinking and bringing in this kind of worldly idea of what leadership is and corporate leadership. And obviously if you're a leader, you should be more wealthy and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, wait a minute, hold up, put on the brakes. Let's look at scripture. What is scripture? Well, I mean, think about the fact that Jesus chose fishermen Yeah, and I mean, lower class type people, uh, I don't like the idea like people will go too far and say, oh, they were just like they were dumb people. Well, no, I think they were brilliant, but they weren't they weren't the affluent of society by any means. Yeah. It's also important to note that Jesus fundamentally rejected worldly leadership on the base level 
So like in, in Matthew 20, right? Um, when, when John's mom comes to Jesus, right? In, in, in that exchange. So Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called to called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, Mm. but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you would be your slave, even as the son of man came not not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so like, in that, the reason that I bring this up in response to what you said is because Jesus tells his disciples right there, whatever you think of leadership yeah. from from the from the powers and the rulers of the world that you see, whatever you think you know about leadership from them, I'm fundamentally telling you does not apply to what I am teaching you about leadership. You need to relearn leadership from me, mm. not from what you've mm-hmm. observed in the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so what these people that take leadership from what they've seen in the world in corporate America yep. or, or the, you know, the, the corporations of the, of the countries that they live in or from politics and say, okay, we're going to take that and now we're going to put it into the church and it's going to be successful are just fundamentally wrong on the base <laughs> level. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I could even say like, I feel that those that actually serve underneath authority end up using authority more carefully. Sure. You know, and I've just seen that, you know, you get a guy who's a business owner, he's a successful entrepreneurial type, and there's a certain kind of lack of self-awareness that like, hey, you know what, when you get in the church, it doesn't function the same. It's not a business. No. You can't just make a decision and run with it. Right. Like, there are safety nets here. Right. And when you make a decision, you turn the ship together. Right. Exactly. And it's really hard for them to embrace that. And Jonathan Lehman puts he he articulates this really well when he says the the job of of the elders, the teachers in the church, the pastors. Again, we're all saying this is pretty synonymous type words, but his job is to bind consciences, which is a very like when you think about that, like it's a spiritual work that he's doing. He's teaching you the word of God. He's feeding you the word of God, and his authority is in that arena. His, his authority is in teaching and not just to make unanimous or just decisions about what are we going to do da, 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 and just run with him. No, his authority is in teaching, but when he teaches, what he does is he binds your conscience and that's kind of a, that's a little bit of a scary thing. That's why James says in James 3, 1, not many of you brothers should be teachers. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a. It's a really weighty work to have people, in a sense, submit to or be called to submit to your teaching and saying, this is what the Bible says, and if they're going to trust you as their, as their elder, as their leader, like they're, you're shaping the way that they view good and bad, right and wrong, evil, uh, morality, how to live their life, how to make decisions, and and you're binding their conscience in that. And if you bind it incorrectly, well, then you're going to make them either do something they shouldn't be doing. You're not going to necessarily coerce them. We're not saying that, but you're going mm-hmm. to, you know, you're working on their mind in a sense to hopefully it ends up like in the right way, 
where they're making godly decisions in their everyday life, Mm -hmm. where they go out from church and they then apply the text that you just taught them because their conscience has been bound in a certain way. Mm And hopefully that's con- completely consistent with wh- how the Bible would bind their conscience. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's the job of the other, and it's a it's a scary thing. And you wouldn't just want a guy who's just good at corporate leadership just to go into the pulpit or go into the church leadership structure and and start to and then give him the title of elder or pastor or shepherd. And now he's 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 not really a teacher of the word. He hasn't studied the word. He's not equipped in that way. He, and and now he's he's binding consciences. Yeah. Well, and you you bring up a, a very important uh, issue, which is you know what what is the limitations of an elder's yeah. authority? Big right? discussion. Yeah. Uh, and because I have seen even you know out of a matter of sincerity, right? But just a bit misguided, I have seen men end up binding the consciences of people because they'll make uh, certain opinions that they hold yep. to known yep and there will be no matter of clarification of this is actually my Just opinion my versus the opinion. word of god right and as soon as you're in the office itself of elder yeah uh you have to be really careful about that yeah. like you know even just simple example this last sunday somebody came up to me and uh you know mentioned that the the music was a bit loud and you know clearly was you know wanting me to kind of address the situation okay uh and, and I just had to say, like, hey, I'm going to be careful where I, I think it'd be better if you went to, you know, a worship leader and talked to them a, a, about this issue or yep. whatever. Because yep. it's like, as simple as it is, whatever I say will be taken with a certain amount of weight. Yeah. If I have an opinion about the volume level, yeah. all of a sudden people will be like, cool, but pastor said. So this pastor is what said, you... like, you studied the Bible more than we have, so I'm sure he's found the text to talk about volume level. <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, I think that we need to choose our words carefully. That's Not only point, yeah. is it good for us to limit what we say, yep. but uh, it's also uh, important that we be careful what we say when we say it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we also have to be careful even just like when we ask people to do something. Because even the simple act of like asking somebody to do something, uh, in in a lot of the members' eyes, uh, carries with it in an aura of command yeah and and that's like so like we have to be very careful of like of and very discerning like oh are you asking me to do that just like uh you know like like are you, are you asking me to do it or are you or, or are you telling me to do yeah it? yeah yeah right and that and that works, and in, again, in any sphere, whether it's the family, the church, the state, the you know, the business world, your employer, employee relationship, like there is that tension. Mm-hmm. There's always that tension. Are you are you asking me? Or are you commanding me? Mm-hmm. And Paul even does this with his apostolic authority. Like, hey, I could just command you as an apostle to do this, right? But I I'm I'm asking you, you know. He's he's kind of leveling it down a little bit mm-hmm. and softening it a little bit. So that is that tension with with an elder. The office is it's a real office and it comes with a real authority mm-hmm. and and it's a spiritual authority. It's not uh, again. I've mentioned this 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 term throughout podcast episodes. This idea of sphere sovereignty. And again, I've already mentioned it like three times in this episode. Like church, family, state different spheres, different jurisdictions, 
different authorities. So, so again, this is this whole idea of Christendom and and the separation of church and state. Where you know, for a lot of church history, the the state and the church were wed, and they had this relationship that we think is very unbiblical, where the church had an authority over the state in a way to tell it what to do, to tell it how to make its laws. And we're saying no, there is a separation of church and state. So the elder or the pastor doesn't have the authority to go tell you, you know, how to do all this other stuff in your civic and public life. And, and so he should not bind your conscience in a certain way that way. He has a spiritual authority and his authority is about teaching and explaining the word of God. You have a qualification probably, I bet. Well, yeah, I, I think, I think maybe there's a better way to phrase that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> because I, I think we would want the, like I, I think we would want our our elders to bind the 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 consciences of people in such a way that in their in their family lives and in their civic lives, yeah, that they do live out uh, Christ's righteousness, yeah, yep, in those lives. Yeah, I'm being I'm being confusing. So, but I think what we don't want is we don't want our elders going out into like a civic role and then exercising authority in the civic role. Right. Or saying, like, I'm just going to give a really just kind of... Like we don't want Pastor Cody to be the pastor at Harvest Plains Church and run for president. Right. We don't want that. But I'm even more saying too. I'll just give a really simple example. Like, I'm a little bummed that I was going to bring that to our elder meeting this week. But uh... I'm saying, if you two as elders of Harvest Plains Church said, "Hey, uh, church members, you can no longer eat hamburger. You can't eat burger anymore in your home. Also, you can't you can't go on vacations. Like that's worldly. You can't go on vacations. And you go, what do you what what, like?" Or you can't travel over into Minnesota, or you can't, you know, whatever. All these, hey, you, you, you can't wear a mask. You know, this is a big contentious one. Or you have to wear a mask. Or yeah. you, you, or can't, you can't move. Or you, you can't, can't buy this house. Yeah, or you can't, or you can't date that yeah. person. Yes, yeah. that's where I'm getting at. Yeah, like you can't go to the doctor. Oh, you can't take that type of medication. Like all these different physical things that aren't a sin issue necessarily. They're not overtly sin issues. Like yeah, the elder has the authority to say. No, you like you can't be sleeping with your girlfriend. Like you're not married. That's sexual immorality, and that's a sinful spiritual issue. And the elder has the authority to bind your conscience in that way, to make you actually feel guilty for doing that. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's his authority because it's it's scriptural, it's biblical, it's spiritual, it's a sin thing and a gospel thing. He doesn't have the authority to say you can't do X, Y, or Z when th those things are just they have nothing to do with sin. Now, obviously, you could make them into sin. Sure, you know, a person could blow their entire savings and and you know whatever and be sinful with his use of money, whatever. And maybe the elder could speak into that because it's clear that it's a sin issue. But that's what I'm getting at. Hopefully, that kind of cleared that up. He's binding his members' consciences in a way that's that's biblical and it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a sin thing. It's a gospel thing. It's a sanctifying thing. It's not saying, hey, you know, you can't have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when you go home. Like, what? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. 
Whereas the parent could say to their child, hey, you're, you're not going to have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches today. They have the jurisdiction to say that to their kid. Mm-hmm. So there's that's kind of the thing. There's these ju- different jurisdictional spheres. Um, yeah. So. Well, and and uh, and so not everything is totally spelled out for the work of an elder. So I mean, right. there are going to be these things where the elder has authority over, but that doesn't mean that what he says is on par with the word of God, right? right. And uh, in terms of the. You know, let's just say the affairs of the church. You know, what outreaches are we going to participate in? Yeah. Uh, you know what what number of member meetings are we going to have? Um, how is the order of service going to be? Yep. You know, there are a number of things where people uh, might want to insert their preferences, but at the end of the day, uh, the jurisdiction belongs to uh, the elders. Yep. Okay, they have been appointed to lead the church. And so we need to give elders freedom to be able to make decisions in that right. that specific sphere. Right. So we would Harvest Plains Church under under the banner of congregationalism. And again, congregationalism is this idea that that the keys of the kingdom, the binding and loosing, the bringing in the and the and the kicking out is is in you know. The hands of the church members, they have the authority to do that, and they they are called and tasked with doing ministry. And, but also, part of congregationalism is obviously this: there's not somebody over top of the local church or multiple local churches, like a bishop or something like that, or a presbytery. We don't believe that either, because so, Jesus Christ is seen as the head of right, His church. Yeah. Right, exactly. In every instance where we see local churches in the New Testament, it's very much like they seem like they're this autonomous thing and there's nobody else over them um even look at this the the seven letters to the seven churches in in revelation two and three like jesus is calling out individual local churches and and their issues there he's not calling out the bishop above them or the structure above them he's calling out individual local churches and it doesn't you get don't get anywhere in that that somebody else or some other church or some other leadership structure or some other leader above them is is accountable for this it's just that local church so that's congregationalism uh, autonomous local churches self-governing self-replicating obviously as baptists we believe also in the universal church so these local churches should affiliate with one each with one another for the sake of missions for the sake of the gospel for the sake of charity works things like that now um i totally lost my train of thought well i was gonna say you really kind of i mean you you did a good job there pointing out that churches serve and help one another yeah uh i just think maybe just biblically speaking addressing that a little bit more and pointing out the ways that churches did partner together you know i mean yes they were self-governing self-correcting they were accountable in revelation each congregation, uh, right? But uh, but it wasn't like they disregarded the, the other churches or didn't care about what the other churches were doing or didn't step in to help the other churches. All of that was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there, we see offerings being taken, yeah. right? And we see an offering taken to help um, the Jerusalem church, right? And uh, and we do see churches coming together. Obviously, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there was still an interconnectedness, right. Uh, to them. Right. And I guess where I'm getting at now is underneath, if we keep boiling it down, have it, the spire that's going down 
as we start to specify our type of congregationalism, we're saying that Harvest Plains Church believes in a elder-led congregation rule type of congregationalism. Yes. And there are some congregationalists that are that flip that and they say elder ruled congregational led. And what are what's the distinction between that? Oh, your phone's the- ringing. <laughs> <laughs> What's the distinction between those two? Well, let's just take like an elder ruled environment and let's just take like a black and white example, yeah. say like the removal of someone from membership, yeah. right? In an elder ruled uh, church, uh, there's no need to have a, a vote on church that, vote. right? I mean, they wouldn't vote on the budget. They wouldn't vote on finances. They wouldn't vote on the removal of someone from membership uh, or even the inclusion of someone sure. from membership. Yep. You just don't really need any of that. Right. Uh, now, obviously, there's a a great spectrum, right? Yeah. I mean, elder rule churches, there are, you know, they're going to have still things that they vote on per, per se, but some yeah. more so than others. Um, but if you're an elder led church, you are certainly going to have more matters brought to the congregation, uh, you know. So, like in our little early, you know, young church plant, yeah. right? So we had a lot of decisions to make. We ended up eventually relocating our ministry. Recently, moving from Castleton to Mapleton, right, right now, uh, is it is it essential that you vote on relocating your congregation? Okay, no, and our bylaws don't require that. Sure. But uh, you know that was a matter that we brought before the congregation, and we felt it wise to have them involved in that decision, right? Uh, and so we put it up for a, a vote of the members. Uh, now, in an elder rule church. Uh, potentially, I, I could just seem like, "Hey, guys, uh, this is elders what the elders have decided. decided. We're going to go ahead and we're going to relocate." Yep. So, yep. I think that's a perfect application of that. And again, this isn't something that's explicitly spelled out in Scripture. We're we're again we're doing theological work and we're trying to be wise with what. Okay, what actually is if we if we believe that congregationalism is biblical and that the church corporate the gathered saints have a special authority and that it doesn't reside in a single individual. Well, then what, again, this is where it gets messy. What is the authority of the elder? And we kind of just said binding or, uh, uh, binding consciences, teaching doctrine, that's where his authority lies. And and I think Jonathan Lehman, too, also helps paint this picture of in, in a congregational ruled elder-led church, the congregation has authority over the elements of of worship and the elders have authority over the forms. So that's this idea of at the end of the day, who is for the most part entrusted with the gospel? It's the church corporate. It's the gathered saints of which the elders are a part of, obviously mm-hmm. they're members too of the church. And, and so the gospel, we would say even like those, those elements are part of the regulative principle preaching the word, singing the word, praying the word, reading the word, those types of things are the forms. And so the church is, is entrusted with having authority and stewarding the form or the elements. And then the elder gets to say, well, because I've been entrusted specifically by God and called by God to, as an elder, to teach the word of God, well, I have authority over how I structure my sermon or how I put together my sermon, or if I decide to preach a topical sermon this week or versus an expository sermon, 
or that type of stuff. And, and maybe you have, uh, an elder or whatever, who is more over like the music type ministry. And he says, well, we're going to have a piano and we're going to have a, an electric guitar, uh, and, and I kind of get to take liberty to make that decision as, as an elder. Mm-hmm. And, and that would be an application of, you know, having authority over the forms, not necessarily the elements. The congregation gets to say, no, we need, we need to be singing spiritually significant and biblically accurate songs. If the elders say, hey, no more singing in the church, the congregation should go, hold up. You don't have authority to say no more singing. Mm-hmm. Look at what Scripture says. Scripture clearly says and commands us to sing. So we're we're going to take, we're going to say no. You can't make that decision. But now the elder more has has the ability to say, well, here are maybe some instruments that we're going to use. Here's maybe a certain song selection. It's all biblical. So what do you think about that? That's kind of how Lehman paints the picture. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about how, let's just say you do have a pastor who is not being biblically faithful, and he is clearly violating Scripture. Yeah. If you are not in a congregational church, and you're in kind of a bigger denomination, like a, you know, a Lutheran church yeah. setting, I mean, how do you get—yeah, what can you do in that situation, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're reaching out to the synod, and you're going, hey, we've got a guy in here, and we need you to remove him, right? You, yeah. You, you've lost— the ability for the congregation to fully hold this person accountable. And and in congregational government, it's like, no, in our bylaws, the congregation is able to remove an elder from his office, right? right? And there's a mechanism to do that. So there is definitely accountability from the congregation for the leadership. And we even see that in Scripture, you know, this idea of don't bring a charge against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. But the point is there is that you can bring a charge against an elder. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is possible. He's not infallible. He's not above, you know, sinning. He's not above being removed. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a hallmark really of of congregationalism. Yeah, and and that topic in and of itself just points back to the need for a plurality of elders because ideally you would see the other elders first, you know, go to that man yeah. and say, "Hey, look, you know." He, what you're doing, no, that that's not good. You need to, yep. You need to step down. Yep. Exactly. And and again, back to that plurality thing too. Like, what happens when your when your pastor is erring, and is is faltering and teaching something that he shouldn't be teaching or doing something he shouldn't be doing? Well, if he's the only guy in the church, if he's the only pastor, and you remove him, well, then you're out. You're out of a teacher. You're out of a pastor. You're out of a shepherd. Now what? Now you. You see churches go through this all the time. They have to hire an interim, and things get messy with the interim. And the interim might say, well, I'll give you three months. But then after three months, you still haven't found a replacement pastor. And then he's like, well, I'll give you one more month. And and he gives you one more month and says, hey, I got to go back to my other job or my other life. And then again, they go through this the motions, and it's just these churches just squander and and, and suffer and, and just kind of go through the motions, and they are stagnant, and some of them eventually die. But if you have a plurality of elders, if you have five elders in a local church, hypothetically speaking, and one of them fails, well, you you still have four others that are able to continue the ministry and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's important to just point out, I mean, the elder-led uh, part of our government is really important. And I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, a full-fledged kind of democratic form of congregationalism is just is just sick. Yeah. Okay. And, and not healthy. Right. And I feel like a lot of guys are afraid of, uh, you know, maybe they've been in a, you know, they've been in a congregational 
you know, context where the congregation really is uh, making ministry absolutely miserable by controlling the teaching right. and controlling these other decisions. And so they kind of overreact and go over to the elder ruled side. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and ultimately do what Jonathan Lehman talks about. You end up firing your church members. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then making it all revolve around a select number of guys. Right. And that's the thing. We have to hold it's it's a balance and it's easier to it's easy for people to to go over into a, a ditch. Right. But we're we're we are saying that there is something unique and special about a called elder. And if in Acts twenty, mm-hmm. Paul clearly says to the Ephesian elders that the Holy Spirit appointed you to this office, to this to this this role to this task of, of shepherding the Ephesian church. He called you, and obviously in Ephesians 4, we see that too. He he gave, Christ gave to the church these leaders. So, and we obviously see the spiritual gift of, of teaching, of knowledge, of wisdom, and instruction. And, and there really is this reality that there's something unique about the elder type. He does have a gifting and an ability to teach scripture in a way that helps the congregation and helps the average church member understand what the Bible is saying. It doesn't mean that the that your average Christian can't go and read their Bible and understand what it's saying. They can, mm-hmm. but the point of the fact that there are such things as teachers implies that, well, the teacher's going to help you see it all the more clearly. Right, yep. And he's going to give his life to it, too. Mm-hmm. Think about if, if even if just any con- any average church member, if they gave their life to, like their, their work week, that they give to working a job, whatever it might be, driving semi, you know, being a teacher at a school, farming, farming, whatever it is. If they give all that time to studying the scriptures and in the original languages and, and thinking theologically <laughs> and figuring out what the Bible teaches, I mean, man, think about how much more you would know about the Bible if, you, if just anybody did that. And so that's what we're saying the elders are doing. They're giving their life more to this than the average person is. So it's implied that they they have a, a, a firmer grasp of what the Bible is teaching and can help then people understand it better too. So there really is, yeah, we don't want to go into a different ditch of where, you know, well, the the church member is just as equipped or just as able to do everything that the elder does or all the way to the other ditch of like, well, the elders have this complete authority because they're special and, and they alone know what the Bible teaches. There's a balance. Right. Yeah. Lehman, Lehman, I'm just going to quote Lehman and just kind of summarize this, this congregational led or congregational ruled elder led idea. He says, to put it simply in matters that are central to the church being the church, no matter, I'm going to say that. To put it simply, in matters that are central to the church being the church, no matter the time and place, the elders exercise authority by teaching and equipping the congregation to exercise the congregation's own authority to make church-establishing decisions. And the congregation should trust and submit to the elders so long as the elders' instruction is prescribed by Scripture. In matters that vary between one church and another, the elders generally exercise authority by making decisions, and the congregation should trust and submit to the elders so long as the elders do not contradict scripture. This, I propose, is biblical elder leadership and congregational rule. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, think, I think the other thing that we haven't really talked about as far as elders go in their role is to protect the congregation. 
and that's that's really part of shepherding. Oh, for sure. Um, protect against the wolves. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, protect against false teachers, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, protect against harm. Um, you know, protect against the congregation making bad decisions or <laughs> yeah. making sinful decisions. Um, I mean, just a number of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you read from Hebrews 13 earlier, but uh, Hebrews 13, 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Yeah. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Right. I mean, there's so much in that in that verse, but um, like keeping watch over your souls, um, you know, along with along with the fact that the elders will have to give an account for the work that they do. Right. Um, you know, to Christ. Yeah, I mean, and I absolutely love Acts chapter 20, right, where Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders. And we know it's the elders because we actually are told in Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then he obviously, he testifies to the nature of his ministry and how he uh, conducted himself in an honorable fashion. Taught the whole counsel of God. But then he eventually, he gets uh, gets to verse 28— and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, yep. and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit, we could talk about that, yep. God, again, there's this idea of a called person yep. uh, to the work, uh, to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Yep. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's this huge idea of protection with mm-hmm. the role of the elder. And the way in which he protects is by sound teaching. Even think of to the Second Timothy 4, the last charge that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching and then he says, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but with itching ears, they'll store up basically teachers that will basically, yeah, tickle their ears, mm-hmm. tell them what they want to hear. So he's saying, though, that the 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 way in which you you fight against this urge in people to to go find people who are just going to tickle their ears is you preach the word. Mm-hmm. That is the way you do it. There is going to be a time when people are going to wander away and go off and and you know be like a piece of chaff that's blown in the wind and be blown around by every wind of doctrine. But the way in which you protect them from that is by preaching the word of God with yep. complete patience and teaching. Yep, that's right. All scripture, God breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. training. So mm-hmm. that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Yep. So that's an amazing thing. That That's an amazing calling that's why it's a noble calling paul says that the office of elder like if anybody aspires to this it's a it's a noble thing yeah and it's a high calling it's a calling that is certainly worthy of great reward but also if you (laughs) if you mishandle the office and mishandle the authority it's also worthy of great punishment and judgment because you you have this you have this yeah, this authority over people and what they believe about the scriptures. And and yeah, you're going to have to give an account one day, as, as the end of Hebrews says. You're going to have to give an account for how you lead these people. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's in a nutshell. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about right. under elders. And I know we, we there's been... We could go on and on. Yeah, we could go on and on and on and on. We could, And I know that I've, I've touched on elders in a lot of different podcasts, like my Biblical Manhood and Womanhood series. We, Dan and I walked through uh, the first Timothy 3 qualifications because it's not only is this the qualifications of an elder, but it's a qualification. This is like a description of a godly man in general. So if you want to know how to be a godly man, just go read the elder qualifications. So, and Dan and I did a series on leadership. And so we talked about elders in that series on leadership. So we've, I've hit on a lot of these different things. So I don't want to just belabor it in this, in this episode, but obviously there's so many different discussions we could have on, well, how much should your elders be making? Should they be paid? Should they be staff, lay elder, ruling elder, blah, 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 blah. There's all these different distinctions and yeah, we don't really have a lot of time. Let's just briefly talk about deacons. And I, I don't think there's much we need to say about deacons in the fact that, you know, the word, the Greek word that we get deacon is really just, it means servant. It's somebody who serves. And I like the I like the idea that you say often, Cody, like, um, like deacons are facilitators of ministry. Uh, they're leaders of, of certain types of ministry. So just kind of unpack... I'm sure anything I have to say about this, I stole from someone else. Yeah. So let me just be clear about that. Right. And probably stole it from Nine Marks. Okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah, That's of course. All, they all <laughs> but, lead back uh, to Nine Marks, all these streams. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think one of the most helpful phrase I have just continued to keep in my mind, and I try to share it with others often uh, as it regards to the government of the church, is that elders oversee ministry, yep. deacons facilitate ministry, and the members do ministry. Yes, okay? very good. And in terms of the the deacon office, uh, a good word picture for them is that they're shock absorbers. Okay? Yeah. Uh, there's obviously a lot of things that the church can go through that creates turbulence, right? It creates, uh, you know, just challenges yeah. as it pertains to focusing on the main work, which is teaching, preaching, prayer, right? right. And so that is obviously why you see early in Acts, the proto-deacons, yep. where it's like, hey, uh, this isn't right, that we should give up this work of teaching God's word and and devoting ourselves to prayer. So we need to appoint some men who are able to care for these practical needs of these widows needing to be taken care of. Yeah. And so that's when we talk about facilitating ministry, uh, that's what we mean by it. Right. We're talking about these practical needs come up and you go, how do we take care of these practical needs without it becoming a major distraction from the work of disciple making? Right. right? Exactly. And the thing is, is, you know, and, if you think about practical needs, there really are a seemingly endless amount of needs that can come <laughs> up, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, we can get into the debate of, you know, can a, can a woman be a deacon? Are there deaconesses, right? right. And there's a big discussion to be had about that, right? Yep. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, it's practical needs that are in focus with the work of a deacon. Yep. So, uh, you know, when I think about just our week-to-week ministry at Harvest Plains— right. We think about communion, like getting the elements ready to be served on a Sunday morning. Yes. Okay. We've got people who are serving behind the scenes to help out with media and sound and lights and, you know, children's ministry and... Uh, organizing know. outreaches, or, organizing the Farmington people We've got coming. some uh, parades coming up yep. here. Some of the small towns, they like to do their summer festivals, right? So. Yep. We need somebody to organize that kind of a project and buildings and ground stuff. Counting like, the money. Counting the money, offering. I mean, I mean, there's yeah, there's seemingly an endless amount of things that need to be done when you have a church. 
And and obviously when a church owns a building and owns land and is doing things, like that needs to be organized. There needs to be administration. There needs to be systems in place. People need to to, to do this work and facilitate it. And the point is, is that why, why we think it's so necessary that we have individuals and people who fill this office of deacon is, as Acts 6 says, like, that we, we, we realize, and Scripture really emphasizes this, this reality that the work of, of studying and preaching and teaching the Word of God and praying as its complement is such an important work for the health of the church and for the advance of the church and for the sanctification of the saints so that they can even do ministry. That is such an important work that the elder, teacher, shepherd, pastor, overseers who are called to that, they need to be freed up to do that. They can't be sidelined by all these other things. These other things need to be done, and they're important. It's not a demeaning of them, but it's that there needs to be delegation. There needs to be this reality of, hey, I've been called to this work to teach the Word of God. I need to be freed up to do it so that I can gift you the, the teaching of the Word. If I if you have me running around doing all these other things, which some congregations do to their pastor, they have them. They, you need to be doing everything. Mm-hmm. You need to be greeting in the front in the morning on Sunday morning. You need to be at this event and this event and this event. We need you to organize this. It's like whoa. And by the end of it, it's like oh, I have four hours in the week to finally give to sermon prep. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And your church is going to just squander and and die. Mm-hmm. So the deacon, it's a totally necessary thing. And and Harvest Plains doesn't yet have officially deacons. There's certainly people who are doing the work of a deacon, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, it's the last office that we have to uh, install someone right. into, you know, and then we'll become a real church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's yeah. the point, like, too, like, with a church plant, you, when you think about a baby being born, a baby is growing and developing and maturing, and it's not... Like your your four month old isn't talking and speaking fluent sentences yet. Uh, there's a development. There's a crawling and a walking and a running and a jumping, and there's single words and there's phrases and finally they're putting together sentences and finally they're putting together whole thoughts that are like wow that's profound and you're four. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there is a development and eventually you reach maturity mm-hmm. as a human being. So a church is very much like that. It's just. It's this living thing, and and there is an order and a progression. You can't expect a church on day one when it's planted to have all these things immediately in place. Mm-hmm. So, but there is a wisdom with you thought it wise to make sure the first office that you appoint is a plurality of elders before deacons. Sure. I mean, we could talk about how membership is an office. Yeah. Okay. And that's so, what Lehman's arguing for. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so technically— You that started was, with that members. That was the first yeah. office. So at our one-year birthday, we installed members. Yeah. Okay. And at our second birthday, we installed elders. Yes. And you know what? Like, that worked for us because we had men who were qualified to serve in that office, and I didn't feel like we were— uh, rushing into it and uh, compromising on the qualifications just to have those men. Yep. So I know many, many guys that have planted a church and it has taken them four years to appoint elders yeah. because that's how long it took to find men who were able yeah. 
to meet the qualifications. Right. Uh, we had those, praise God, yeah. in our second year. Yeah. Now we're just waiting. Now we're coming up. Our fourth birthday here is going to happen in September. Yep. And so uh, we still don't have deacons. That's the next office. And uh, we probably have been prevented in moving ahead with appointing deacons uh, because of the building, frankly. Yep. Because you moved to a different town and you got this building and all the things that are going on with that. Right. Yep. So now at some point in the next year, the elders will definitely be talking about when and how and who. Yep. <laughs> exactly. When it comes to the deacon ministry. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, like, you could have, because technically speaking, you would think that it would maybe be easier to find individuals to fill the deacon office than the elder office. And and so there's there could be this logic like, well, therefore then a church plant sh should maybe or could maybe appoint deacons before they appoint a plurality of elders. And there's nothing in Scripture that would say that that's, like, wrong. The wisdom I remember in the discussion earlier on was that you have a lot of churches actually where their their primary leadership structure is a board of deacons and that's it. They don't have elders, they don't have but they have deacons. And that's that was very common in your typical Baptist church yeah. going back. Yep. So uh, you end up having deacons that are essentially seen as elders exactly. right? and doing the work of eldership. Exactly. And uh, that just creates a complicated situation yep. when later you have a pastor who understands the model, and now they're trying yeah. to steer the church in the right direction. And so usually in that situation, they try to just train up their deacons— To become um, elders. To become elders and, and to do the work. work of elders until one day they go, hey, guess what? You're already doing—let's just change the title now that you're actually doing the work of an elder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just gets messy. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that there is a qualification difference. There and, is, and I was thinking that maybe a good way to wrap up. Yeah. Um, of course, you can. No, you, you, I think do it. I, I thought maybe a good way to wrap up would be to <clears throat> go through the qualifications of a deacon. Yeah. And then go through the qualifications of an elder to illustrate the difference. Yeah. And absolutely. we and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but we can just kind of read kind of read them off. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> because there are some similarities. Right. But there are a couple. Very important differences. Right. And so I'm just going to, um, I'm in First Timothy 3, and I'll start with the qualifications of deacons, which start in verse 8. <clears throat> deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Uh, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children uh, and their households well. Uh, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, so do you guys have any thoughts real quick? Well, I mean, just the, the clear thing that as as you get to the elders, the clear thing that's lacking in this list is is this positive like qualification of you have to be able to teach. Right. Yep. So that's just not there. Yep. But also the fact that there is this reality of hey, this is a spiritually mature person though. Like this isn't just a an average. This isn't your a new convert. Clearly, like this is somebody who's 
spiritually mature, who has good standing in the church, who people still look up to. Mm-hmm. And it's it's still not just anybody who can, you know, do some practical task. Like the apostle said in Acts 6. You know, Spirit-filled I'll, I'll, men. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And think of the t- two of the guys that were in that group were Stephen and Philip. I mean... They had the ability to teach. They did. That's <laughs> which was very interesting. They were preacher types. Something's going on. I don't know, but nonetheless. Yeah. Spirit-filled for sure. Yeah. So now going back up to verse 1 in First Timothy 3 to read the qualifications of the elder or overseer. Uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, desire, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Uh, so hospitable was not on the list hmm. uh, for deacons. <clears throat> um, able to teach, not, again, not on the deacon list. Um, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of well by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Yes. So, so yeah. similar, but there's definitely a... A difference. Yeah, and, and definitely a higher expectation. Yep, for the elders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Cody, do you have any concluding thoughts on elders and deacons? I mean, obviously there's a thousand other things we didn't say that we could say, but... I will come back to this simple point i am <laughs> thankful that the lord has revealed to us how his church should function yeah and to disregard the instructions given to us is to disregard god's wisdom yep and if we want to see a healthy thriving church we will be thankful for the instructions and we will we will do everything we can to follow them yep yeah perfect well, thanks again for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. If you haven't already, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts, whatever you listen to the, the show on. And if you haven't already as well, you can check out the AFCI website, afci.us, and learn more about my ministry. And and obviously Dan is usually the one on this, on this podcast and learn more about Dan's ministry. But thanks again for listening and have a great day. Bye.